0: visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlaps. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. Thanks for listening. In this episode, we are recording from the exhibit hall of AOC 2022. And each day this week, we are releasing special episodes with key guests and speakers at the show. Um, Earlier this week, we released an episode with John Knowles, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Electromagnetic Defense. Uh, Yesterday was Mr. David Tremper from the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment. And today I am pleased to have two guests with me. The first guest is going to serve as my partial co-host mr bob andrews he is the aoc global events director uh, and he has also a former board member for the association of old crows i also have with me eric bamford Uh, he is the aoc international region one director on the aoc board of directors but he has 27 years of experience with the norwegian armed forces Uh, He's been working on EW since 2001, and he's currently serving in the post as principal EWO for all the Norwegian Armed Forces, uh, a function placed in Royal Norwegian Air Force Air Combat Center. Uh, Former postings include Branch Head Army EW with Norwegian Army, and operational EW background is in land EW with a focus on comms EA, including operational deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. With that I want to welcome both of you to from the Christmas thanks for joining me okay thank you yeah pleased to be here yeah Eric well I wanted to start off with you uh, you know we're finishing up here on day three uh, had a very interesting keynote session this morning uh, where we talk a lot about we talked a lot about building relationships as a really a key way of working with bureaucracy and of course you know when we think about working with bureaucracy moving technology uh, from development to the field we oftentimes think of uh, we kind of think about it in-country, whether it's uh, U.S. or U.K. or uh, another European country or Norway. But I wanted to bring you on the show because I really wanted to to talk more to our international partners uh, and and, and talk about how do you build relationships cross-partners? cross country cross transatlantic trans-pacific uh, with your allies and partners and get your perspective on what jumped out at you in the, in the conversation on building relationships uh, as a way to innovate
1: just to start off with a caveat here and that is that these are actually my views and and, and based on my own experience on, on building that relationship so um, on, the, uh, on the on the on Atl- the uh, or the North Atlantic or euro-atlantic uh, way of doing this, uh, there is a big difference between the single country American side of it and the European multitude of lang- or, or countries and languages that you need to come across. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it all starts with the alliance. NATO as the alliance on the European side is key to this. Uh, and then you have the next level and that's the bilateral or multilateral interaction and then you need to go all the way down to the personal interaction. That is where you know you, you you do the influence towards the individuals and discuss things with the individuals that then go back to capitals, and 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 feed this uh, new understanding across all the nations, so that we become interoperable and we actually build a requirements base that makes us interoperable in a. Warfighting scenario. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say that's um, there are different layers, and they all need to to kind of line up correctly to to get the interoperability
0: piece correct. What, what, one of the technology sessions was about standards and. Um, It it got me thinking on on this idea of relationships. One of the points that was raised with uh, David Tremper yesterday yesterday on yesterday's podcast, he talked about, you know, you have all these standards um, and the important thing to focus on sometimes is translation between standards. And and my mind went to organizations um, and the need to translate not language per se, but translate relationships or translate processes between the standards and the bureaucracies that we have set up. Um, what are some of your thoughts on, on, on the need for maybe better translation uh, between organizations, partner yeah. countries?
1: So, so, so um, the uh, the uh, NATO approach uh, on, on, on standards is kind of twofold. Uh, it is as civilian as possible and as military or bespoke as necessary. So that means that in reality you want to use as much of the industry standards up to the point where you need to then add that top layer that is required to do military interoperability. So uh, I think that is that is the key to to both reduce the bureaucracy of NATO but also to engage industry a, as much as you can. Uh,
2: yeah and 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 uh, that's in the form of STANAGs a lot which which uh, and NATO, Stanags. so there, there's uh, the interoperability issues are, are across all all, all. the STANAGs help reduce the interoperability problems because everyone adopts them.
1: So so on, on that note of standards yeah. or STANAGs, NATO yeah. standardisation yeah. agreements. Yeah. It's um, uh, NATO has approximately just short of 2,000 STANAGs, yeah. uh, of which. 4550 are what we call operational STANAGs, which is the doctrine the concepts the the tactical publications and then the rest of them will be some type of either information exchange requirement standardization or uh, or formatting and and uh, or technical aspects on on integration and um, uh, you know in NATO it's the the heavy bureaucracy of of, of, of keeping standards up to date as well is a big strain on the nations. So, so anything on, on the standardization side that can be as civilian as possible will actually reduce the bureaucracy of the military organization as well. So that's, that's the way to go.
0: Uh, one, of, one of the uh, I think positive, positives of this show was being able to start the show off with a NATO perspective. Uh, we had General Badia who is uh, leads uh, the NATO Transformation Command, and uh, he, he has some very strong uh, words for how we proceed, w- you know, forward in, a, in the alliance. What jumped out at you from his about his presentation? So, uh, one of the things I
1: absolutely noted during his presentation was that he said ACT will be the custodian for standards. And, the, and, and and I love it because, you know, getting custodians for, for standards in NATO is a big challenge. Normally, you will have to have a host nation. And the host nation in NATO on, on, on standard ownership or custodianship uh, is either a nation or a NATO body or entity. So when he came across and he said, ACT will be the the, the uh, custodian for, for the standards and, and, and do that drive... Uh, that is a, you know, it's it's a relief for, for, for the nations, and it's actually a possibility to go on with some of the standards that have been kind of uh, tough to get people on board uh, to to do because you know it, the custodianship doesn't doesn't fit the, the different nations. It, it belongs to the, on the, on the command side.
2: Yeah. yeah, but but that's that's a great thing he, he is going to do because it takes some pressure off the nations to provide that custodian work. It's, 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 it's ongoing constantly, and it's a big load on many nations. Yeah.
1: Uh, and, he, and he made a very good point in, in, in describing the, the, the need for standardization as well, because he, he made the comparison of, of the American side of the, the alliance versus the European side of the alliance, where uh, he talked about the, the multitude of systems. For instance, you know, the, he said, I think he said 26 types of fighter jets on the, in, in the European theater. Mm. And, and that's where the standards come in. The standards come in to actually uh, align logistics, align uh, how we use things in operations, align uh, the, the, the information exchange between these 26 uh, pat- platforms that, that are very diverse. So, so um, uh, that is kind of the way to go uh, instead of forcing everybody to buy from a specific vendor.
0: Hello everyone. I want to take a short break to thank BAE Systems Fast Labs for the continued support for our From the Crow's Nest podcast. I am pleased to be here today with Bill Watson, Chief Scientist at BAE Systems Fast Labs. Bill, it's great to be here with you. Now, BAE Systems Fast Labs is BAE Systems' research and development and production organization. Can you tell us a little bit about Fast Labs as well as your background?
3: Yes, and thank you for having me. Uh, BAE Systems Fast Labs is dedicated to innovating disruptive next generation solutions for the critical defense and intelligence challenges. Of course, electronic warfare is one of our key focus areas, but in addition to that, we also do research in autonomy and AI, sensing and response, advanced microelectronics, communications and navigation. I've been working in the RF, that is radio frequency research community for over 20 years, a short time in the United States Air Force, followed by specific research and development. My work in the last 20 years has been singularly focused on DARPA research and within the last 10 years at BAE Systems Fast Labs specifically. Technology we work on spans sensor processing to high level sense making up to tactical and operational level autonomy and decision making support. And one of the key differentiators about BAE Fast Labs is the research that we do uh, is intended to find its way to benefit the warfighter.
0: This has been an important topic through many of our recent episodes here on From the Crows Nest. Can you talk a little bit more about that technology and for our audience, how does it change or affect our EW capabilities that we're trying to field?
3: In our work with leading uh, DoD customers like DARPA or AFRL, we focus on developing technologies that will uh, advance future solutions from overcoming today's challenges to developing technologies never before thought to be possible. We then transition our technology to feelable products benefit our warfighters through partnership with BA systems, electronic systems, product lines. As a specific example, I thought I'd use a movie you may or may not be familiar with. It was called Battle Los Angeles. It was from 2011. And in that movie, aliens had invaded. And what the characters in the movie found is that whenever they keyed their microphones on their radios, they could be easily geolocated and targeted. What the movie presented as science fiction for us is, in fact, science fact. This is the type of technology that we work on and exist today where the physics meets the real
0: world. This sounds like absolutely fascinating work. What is the next area that you see for research and development? And if anyone is interested in learning more, how can they reach out to you? Well, we can't say too much because of the sensitivity
3: of our work, classification levels, but in Fast Labs, we are always working on the future state. No matter what the future threats are, we will continue to focus on solving the hardest problems to benefit the warfighter. If you're interested in, more information about Fast Labs, you can connect with us on our website
0: at basystems.com slash Fast Labs. Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest, and now it's time to get back to our show. So, some of the conversation this week, obviously, has been about uh, current NATO operations, obviously having to do with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, you know, what are some of the things that we can take out of this week um, in terms of lessons that we need to be learning, or we have been learning, from a NATO perspective uh, in terms of working together better in, against a common uh, adversary? So. Um
1: since 24th of February, there has been a lot of, a lot of uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say, sh- I, would, I did actually say shock, but that's not what I meant, you know, it's, it's, it's been an eye-opener. Uh, but the thing is, um, it's the need to get, or the sense of urgency on getting the interoperabil- interoperability piece correct right now. Uh, that is where we need to go. And, and that's also where the standardization process is actually the train that we need to get on board. Uh, and, and we need to actually get capitals to, to to get on board with the standardization as well. Because standardization in NATO is, when, when you have a standard that goes out to, to the capitals for, for uh, ratification, you know, you might get back that you have only half the nations on board, whereas you need more and more all the nations on board as well so that it becomes a real standard and not a standard among a enclosed environment.
2: Um, I think what's happened also is that because of... Uh of the conflict. It's forced the nations to start w- collaborating together and working together much quicker than would happen under peacetime conditions. And th- that's a big plus. But it also draws politics, it really, from country to country, on what they will do.
1: So, uh... I mean, we're coming out of a, a pandemic where the majority of the countries have also shown the the ability and the political will to put in effect emergency laws. Mm. So, and and going directly from, or more or less directly from a pandemic into a a, a war in Europe, uh, you know, the the political appetite as well is is in place to actually make. Considerable changes.
2: Yes, I fully agree. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen it. I've, I've, you know, all, all the countries within NATO certainly uh, the collaboration and the closeness and the will to, to work together and solve the problem is, is a big change. And it's it's, it's great to see. Um, that's what NATO is there for. And um, I'm I'm pleased to see what's happening. I'm not pleased to see that we have a, a conflict. But it's accelerating some of the objectives that NATO have for collaboration. So I think
0: it's good yeah, I think I think the key point you said there Bob, was yeah. a, a accelerating a change yes. on, on that and that's yeah. and that's important because oftentimes we understand that there's a problem or 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 some issue we need to address, but we don't have that forcing function to really get there as quick as we need to and and to see the the ex- acceleration take place has, has been good. Um, I want to talk a little bit about training um, w- within NATO. Uh, you know, one of the conversation points we often get into is the importance of really getting the warfighter involved in the operational relevance of technology. And oftentimes it doesn't happen until you're in the battle space. Um, and that's why training is so important. But sometimes training is, you know, you're, you're kind of searching for a, for a, a certain uh, conclusion to the training or certain lesson from the training, and it doesn't always necessarily give you the real world uh, 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 training that you're looking for. Um, could you talk a little bit about training in NATO? What are we learning here in the cur- with the current operations that I th- you think will improve our trainings to, to make us more prepared and to, ke- to keep that acceleration moving?
1: Yeah, so, so um, uh, in, in NATO, EW hasn't been a training dis- discipline, and, and that has actually been a challenge for NATO. Uh, EW has been pushed out on the nations, and 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 uh, uh, despite that, we've actually had the the uh, the uh, NATO Dukes, the the joint uh, EW core staff that w- operates out of Yeovilton, and um, uh, they provide uh, EW training for NATO exercises, for the MOU partner nations, and then for the rest of the the alliance partners as well. Um, they are. Uh, they have a multitude of training days across the year, you know. They are constantly out traveling. So, it is a tough job for that unit to, to provide EW training across the alliance. Uh, then you have the, all the issues on EW live training. And that's the regulatory role for, for Spectrum across, across Europe. Uh, so, that limits kind of the, the, the effect of live training. Uh, you have training courses at, for instance, like the, the NATO School in Oboramaga, which is another MOU organization, so it's it's an accredited NATO entity, but it's not NATO in, 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 in real life. Um, so they actually have uh, a couple of courses that have been growing over time, and uh, the latest addition to the EW portfolio is the NATO EMO course, which an EMO is then the the NATO... Equivalent term of MSO in in the US, um, but that is actually driven by the EW community. Uh, it's uh, the startup was was um, tiresome in getting the other communities to come in with with mentors, speakers, instructors, and so on. So we we, we have some we have we have to do a cultural change. Across the 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 uh, stovepipes of spectrum management, navwar EW, and actually come together and and, and make this uh, make this work in a, a in a coherent way in how we approach spectrum in campaign and operations.
2: Mm. Um, where does um, EW sit within the NATO structure <laughs> at the moment? Right. At the moment, <laughs> I know it changes, but where is it heading now? Because EW obviously has become raised its uh, or ha- has been elevated because of the conflict oh, yes. and, and and so is there a focus point within NATO structure for ew
1: so the, the the focus point will be the nato dukes right. so so they are they are the main provider and they also provide then uh policy officers that go in and and augmente staffs uh, when necessary uh, and they also then support the nato school with with smes along with some of the nations mm-hmm. but you will see that there is a, only a handful of nations that actually do support both the 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 uh, the or man the dukes uh, and also bring speakers uh, and smes to to the nato school so uh, that is a constant challenge to actually get the right people because the right people are few and they are you know they are occupied both nationally and with all other that are about. So so uh, th- that is kind of the weakness of, of, of doing a course like that without having an in-house uh, knowledge base to actually execute a course there and then.
2: What's shown as well is that I, I know that there's 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 been a, a big upgrade to the Jukes equipment, um, but they are stretched to the limit and you only ha- you only have one you know, EW training capability or across the nations, and say it's only the nations that subscribe to Jukes that, that use it. Um, so we have a shortfall in 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 capability because that Jukes is overloaded. They are really very much overloaded.
1: So so. Um, uh the partner nations, or the MOU nations supporting the Dukes, just recently climbed from 12 to 13. <laughs> uh, and 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 um, uh, just to correct, uh, it is not just the MOU nations that actually access, have access to using Dukes, uh, but it's a logistic bit. Oh. So okay. so uh, they actually do support uh, nations beyond the MOU as well. Okay. Uh, they just have to pay for the logistics and so on okay. themselves. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the primary focus is actually the big NATO exercises. Um, and, and uh, yes, they are stretched, they are really stretched. And, and, and uh, the, the uh, current technology is going out uh, and we need to ensure also that they have the manning to operate the old equipment while getting uh, the, the knowledge base up and running on the new equipment without actually having a proper gap there. Yeah. Because it's not, we do not have the time right now
0: to actually gap EW training. Correct. Yeah. How how do they address workforce development on a on a NATO scale? Because we always have long had uh, an issue with workforce development in EW, and I would imagine NATO is basically dealing with every single member country who also has that same problem. Um, are there initiatives that NATO can implement to either encourage uh, certain paths or certain developments with their member states, or you know, set a certain standard for professional development or um, how, how, do, how do they work on that front? So uh,
1: the new NATO EW policy, I'm not spot on if I say it's r- uh, out right now. or It's either just come out or it's just about to come out. And that has a full section of policy statements that goes to the command structure and what the command structure should be able to do and also to the nations. So NATO on a day-to-day basis doesn't really have a big force available. It is the nations that provide uh, the, 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 the NATO uh, force structure. And uh, that's why that chapter in the EW policy, NATO's EW policy on expectations to the nations, that is an important piece of work. Then you have the, 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 um, uh, the NATO defense planning process that then put capability goals that are tailored to each nation. So, so in that document, you will find specific tailored targets also on EW to your nation. Uh, and that's kind of how NATO informs and, and puts requirements on, on the different nations.
2: Yeah, so, so really what that's saying is is that that uh, professional development side of it is down to the nations. It is down to the nations. Under NATO policy guidance.
1: Yeah, yeah. That is down to the nations. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay, well that is all the time we have for today's episode. I want to thank uh, my guests Eric Bamford and Bob Andrews for joining me here on from the Crow's Nest in our spe- special edition of AOC 2022 day 3. Thank you gentlemen for joining me on the on the show. Thank you. Thank you for thank being here. Yeah, thank you for being here. That will conclude this episode of from the Crow's Nest. I'd like to thank my guests Eric Bamford and Bob Andrews for joining me here on the show. Don't forget to review, share, subscribe to this podcast. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners, so please feel free to share your thoughts and recommendations. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Fast Labs.